what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This podcast is sponsored by the 2019 Foot Candle Film Festival. This year's festival will be held September 27th through the 29th in Hickory, North Carolina. Learn more by visiting footcandlefilmfestival.com. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. I am co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival. Across from me is Chris Fry, Hello. sharing the exact same titles. Yes. Co-producer, co-director of the festival and the film society. Chris, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, looking forward to hearing the thoughts on the movies that we're reviewing today. I, I know I kind of have a feeling of what you're thinking about them, but I'm interested to see if I'm right or wrong. Okay, so, so there'll be a little we'll predicting going on. Just yeah. just as a little background, you know, this is Foot Candle Films. We talk about movies and do reviews of new films and hit movie news. And we also end up the show with a recommendation of a film that each of us like to propose that maybe you consider checking out or maybe haven't seen in a while and might be worth a revisit. But what Chris is kind of alluding to is something that I think it's important for people to understand is that, you know, when you and I see films – uh, we normally are not seeing them together. Correct. And we don't talk about the films uh, that we're going to review until we sit down to review. So I have no idea what your perception is of the two films we'll be discussing today. You don't know mine. Now, we also work together. True. So sometimes we see each other. <laughs> and sometimes it's hard to kind of repress every feeling or comment we have about a film we've seen. So we get little hints throughout the week leading up to the recording, but never a full stated opinion which is what we're going to share with you today. Uh, so speaking of those fully formed opinions, we have two films that we will be discussing in the review section of our show. First off, we will be discussing Godzilla, King of the Monsters. This is the follow-up to Gareth Edwards' Godzilla from a few years back, uh, but with a new director taking the reins and some new villains for Godzilla to battle. Then we'll move on to the musical biopic Rocket Man about Sir Elton John, and uh, starring, uh, uh, um, uh, what is his name? Taron Egerton. Taron Egerton. Gosh. And I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance. My hand is wrapped up in a sling. I am a little uh, out of it from the medication they're having me take. <laughs> and I can't write anything. And I'm very frustrated. So I'm winging a lot of the notes today because I cannot write anything, Chris. And I have no notes to go on. So I'm going to be relying on you uh, to be a little bit of my fact checker on things as, okay. uh, as I'm just completely going off the top of my head on everything today. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. So with that, we will get started with Godzilla, King of the Monsters. How many of these things are there? 17 and counting. That's messed up. <laughs> Mothra. Rodan. Kidora. Oh my. They're moving like a pack. They're hunting. They all respond directly to an alpha. We stop this Ghidora. We stop them all. Is there another creature that might stand a chance against him? 
Chris, uh, anybody who's listened to any episode of our podcast has probably been able to figure out that I like big monster movies. Correct. I'm a big fan of even the original Godzilla films, uh, big guys in rubber suits stomping around a model city, uh, battling just other otherworldly characters, and, and just that whole concept is fun for me. I enjoy it. Right. Partly it's because of the spectacle and partly because it's just this idea of something that's very unnatural for us to think of. Some, some, some creatures and things so large and huge that can just wipe out a race or wipe out society in a pretty easy, 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 uh, easy path. Do you think some of it's nostalgia from your childhood watching I, some of these movies? Absolutely. Uh, so do you remember the show Ultraman? Yes. Okay. I was a huge Ultraman fan. And this <laughs> Ultraman is a giant guy, you know, big, big tall guy sure. that you know uh has some cool powers and yeah it's kind of done in that same godzilla style of like filmmaking early version of the power rangers very very similar yes exactly except it was just him it's just the fact that he's huge i mean i sure. think if he was normal size i wouldn't really be that interested but the fact that it's, it's these giant towering giants are really really uh, exciting for me sure i liked gareth edwards previous version of this whatever we're calling this godzilla verse or monster verse or something And I liked it. I liked it for a couple of key reasons. One, I thought it gave some grounded bit of realism to this world around a Godzilla. I thought the CGI character of Godzilla was pretty well realized for, you know, compared to what we've seen in other attempts. Um, And overall, I thought the tone of the film worked for me. I liked that it didn't try to get, it wasn't too campy, but I think at the same time, by the end, it realized what it was and it was just going to let you see a couple big monsters fight. So it was great. So here we have the follow-up Godzilla King of the Monsters. And Chris, my question to you to kind of kick off and find out where you are on this. My, my question is, can a movie exist and be successful and be well-regarded for spectacle alone? Or does a film, even like this, where you have these big spectacles that most people are going to go to buy the ticket to go see, does it have to have story and characters and development to go along with it. And it's a loaded question because I'll go ahead and say, I thought this film was great on spectacle, but pretty horrible on everything else. So my question to you is, can it still exist as a good movie? If it's just the spectacle, that's really what people are there to see. Well, I mean, I think where you can fall down on that is, um, depends on your love of the subject matter. You know, if you have a lot of history with Godzilla and you really love Godzilla and you've seen, Every single movie that's come out, which, I mean, I have no idea how many of them there actually are. Probably in the teens, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, But So I think if you are really into it and you're like a really Godzilla geek, then you may be disappointed because maybe you do want something more out of it than just creatures romping around on screen destroying stuff. But if you are going for the battle scenes and you could care less about people talking and Mm -hmm. (laughs) plot then yeah, I mean, it can exist. That's, I mean, Independence Day, Independence Day Resurgence, uh, Pacific Rim, Pacific Rim Uprising. You know, those, now granted, Independence Day was more successful than the sequel. And uh, same thing with Pacific Rim. So, I mean. But if I remember correctly, you did not like Pacific Rim. No, and I really hated the You really the hated sequel. the yes, sequel. absolutely. I can't imagine that you were a huge fan of Independence Day. I was brainwashed. Because it was kind of, 
you know, there was a lot of hype. It was, kind it was of a, a big cultural thing, so touchstone at the I time. I thought at first it was good. And yeah. then when I saw it a second time, I realized yeah. how horrible okay. it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm with you on that. It's one of those where I was caught up in the moment, right. kind of opening weekend. I saw it in a big city when I was traveling there. And it was, yeah. It was sure. Cool. I think I was actually in a city that was destroyed in oh, the movie, which was awesome. cool. So, Even yeah. better. Yeah. So Godzilla King of the Monsters, I am fortunate. And that I come to this franchise series. Yes, we did review Godzilla 2014. Um, and I liked it. I think I may have maybe liked it a little more than you. Um, because I think your expectation, because you like the movie. Yeah, I probably went in with a little higher I was kind of like, I have yeah. no expectations. Like, well, it's okay. Um, so with this film, I went in with low expectations. I knew you were really excited about seeing it. And I mean... Does are there plot holes all over the place? Yes, but I kind of expect it. Mm-hmm. I don't expect these things to be well plotted out for their stories to make sense because the overall idea of the movies don't make sense. It's just big things up running around. It's like the more they try to make it have an actual plot or make a statement, it just seems to kind of fall apart to me. Yeah. So, for example, in this movie, the fact that they had more than one bad guy was actually, or bad guy monster, I should say, was actually a positive. Mm-hmm. Because for me, in the last movie, you know, you, and I understand it's like the thing is, how long do you hide Godzilla and before you finally give a reveal? And a lot of people complained about 2014 Godzilla in that they felt like they waited too long to reveal, which, you know, I can't remember. Somebody would have to, our intern would have to go back and see how I felt, felt about it. But that was something that was, to me, I guess you could say maybe daring, and that in this film, you see the monsters right away. I mean, you see Godzilla, yeah. and then you start seeing monsters. But the benefit of they kind of came and went, they would go into hiding or come back, and they served different purposes in the plot. But I thought that was actually kind of a unique thing, and actually for a big-budget blockbuster that has more than one bad guy – I'm not sure I know of another example, which we've hammered at home several times on this podcast. For example, the Spider-Man movie that had Electro with Jamie Foxx. And all oh, that. Yeah. It was like they threw 50 million bad guys and you can't keep them straight. And none of them are really tied up. I actually thought this film did a decent job of kind of telling you what the monster was, what it was doing and having it come and go. It actually kind of made sense. Now, I will say, of course, where it falls apart is the human stuff. Yeah. But for me, I know, or I expect going in that that's just window dressing. But I think we can do better filmmakers. (laughs) I think, you know, it's possible to have the same level of monster spectacle that we had with this film, because I agree all the scenes of the monsters and the fighting and the introduction of all the different creatures and the personality they all seem to have. And it was cool. I really liked all the, I mean, I was happy every time a monster was on screen okay. and I thought visually it was gorgeous. I mean, I don't, it was, I don't remember the cinematography. Well, there was in the 2014, there was like, they had the halo jump. Uh, yeah, and yeah. You saw yeah, the red oh, yeah. stuff coming really out. Cool. Of it. So yeah. some of that, but I mean, there was like one or two instances where in this film, yeah, there were the cinematography, or I guess you could call it that because it was pretty much all CGI because monsters don't exist. <laughs> but right, the the way the frames looked, a lot of it looked like we've often talked about. You could take a scene and hang it up on your wall, mm-hmm. and it would be like a painting. You would really appreciate what you're seeing on screen. There were several oh, yeah. of these moments. It was that were gorgeous, like that. absolutely yeah, I, I gorgeous. So. I just, I do believe we can do better with the humans, though, because <laughs> I actually thought. I thought the 2014 Godzilla, the human stories were weak, 
but they didn't detract from my enjoyment of the film. It was almost okay. like, okay, yeah, I don't really remember any of the characters from the film. I don't remember any of the plot from the film. But it was okay because I still enjoyed the film as a whole. I didn't know these people, speaking of Vera Farmiga mm-hmm. and the guy from Friday Night Lights, whatever his name is. Uh, Kyle Chandler. <laughs> yes, thank yes. you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Playing I didn't Mark rem- Russell. I didn't remember they weren't in the first movie. They're not in the first I, movie. And I didn't remember that. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh. Yeah, I did have to kind of do a little bit of a mental check. It's like, <laughs> were they in the first movie? I don't remember. The problem for me with this film, and again, I... I'm happy with the, 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 the visual elements of the film and I liked everything about the creatures. It was the human story I thought was probably one of the worst I've seen in a big budget movie like this. It's gotten worse since the 2014 Godzilla. The, the human two- story yeah. has gotten worse. I'll I mean, 2014 didn't offend me. It just, I didn't really think much about it afterwards. This one, it was actually kind of physically distracting for me how bad the storyline was going on outside of the monsters. Uh, and it starts early on. I mean, you've got a mustache twirling bad guy played by Charles Dance who just waltzes in with a paramilitary group. Did he at the not right make time. enough from Game of Thrones? I That's don't know, I but it's just, you know, it was so theatrical coming in as the big yeah, villain. It was terrible. Um, you've got some double crossing or some, you know, uh, people with changed alliances that really doesn't make any sense. No, um, they don't. Uh, there's a, <laughs> some moments i got to call it just a couple minutes, and then I'll go over to the positives. I'm doing this in reverse. I'm going to okay. get, get my negatives out of the way. Um, get it off your chest. Yeah. So Kyle Chandler plays Mark Russell, who is, I don't know. I mean, what is he? He's a animal <laughs> he is person. He's not a monarch scientist. No, monarch right? is the organization, this cryptozoological agency oh, yes. uh, that is facing off against these god-sized monsters. Um, Which he's his not wife with is a part of that. His wife is a part of it. Okay. Vera Farmiga, Dr. Emma Russell, and they have a daughter, Madison Russell, played by Millie Bobby Brown. And there's the, the mother father separated at the time. What we find out is that they are kind of victims of some uh, uh, of tragedy that befall because of the 2014 Godzilla movie, which I thought was cool. I'm like, yes. oh, yes, make it to where we're seeing some of the repercussions. They lost of, their son. They lost their son. Because buildings were falling and there's all this stuff going on. I'm like, yes, that's actually kind of cool. Show us the impact it has on the family. But then their actions just made no sense throughout the film. And you well, know, they're, they're estranged for a while because Vera Farmiga's character is kind of uh, siding with the bad guys. Her character then, arc is a mess. Well, and then it changes and nobody seems to care that <laughs> she's changed alliances and everybody just seems to be okay with everything. And even though she was about ready to plot the destruction of half of humankind. <laughs> and then there's just like, oh, well, she snapped out of it and we're all cool now. Everybody's fine. Yeah. Well, probably it got to the point of the film groaning for me where, you know, their daughter, Madison, seems to be a pretty smart kid and pretty you know, adventurous kid and goes out and tries to do some things. I'm not even sure what she was doing with some sort of box to try to control one of the monsters or something or attract one of the monsters. I'm not sure. But she goes missing, and we have a scene with the two parents where they're talking with um, Bradley Whitford, who plays Dr. Rich Stanton, who is just just there to make jokes. That's right. basically his, his, his deal. <laughs> they're talking with him, and they're saying about trying to figure out how – and they start fighting with each other because they're trying to figure out how they're going to find their daughter. And he's like, boy, I sure would have hated to be in the house with you guys. And then they look at each other, the, mother, husband, the mother and father, and say – 
house. She went home. That's where she is. And it's like this big light bulb went off in their head. And they're like, oh, she must be at our house. Their house is in the middle of this freaking battlefield being exploded and destroyed. But yet they think their daughter's gone there. And lo and behold, their daughter had gone there, (laughs) which made no sense. It's just those kind of things. It's contrivances. It's trying to just make the humans be in the right place around the monsters for them to be in danger or peril from the monsters. And I just, I felt like this movie tried actually too hard to put way too many human characters in the place when we don't want that. None of the audience wants that. Right. There's no point in doing Everybody that. Everybody just wants the monsters. Nobody's clamored to go to a Godzilla movie because we want to see what kind of character development we get with the human beings around him. Right. Okay. I would have been perfectly fine if the whole movie was all the monsters fighting and you've got a broadcaster who's watching the whole thing kind of narrating it okay Okay. so now it looks like godzilla is about to do this and i'd be totally fine with that i don't need any character development i do need maybe somebody to give me a little background on who the creatures are and where they came from and what Mm -hmm. their what their powers are but beyond that just let them go we do not need all this so it was more frustrating that they decided to actually amp up the human story when that was the part of these movies that never really works very well and it was just so much more amplified here to the point where it was very distracting. Did you know, Chris, that there's an actress in this film, Zi Yang, Zhang, playing two different people? No. She played twins of the same doctor in two different locations. Okay. There you go. That's enough to tell you that they arbitrarily are adding characters to this plot that nobody even knows are additional characters. She played two people that were twins of each other, two different scientists. Cause if you really pay attention to the plot, they're in two completely different parts of the world. And we cut from one scene to another and there she is again. And nobody's questioning from an audience. Why are we seeing the same person? Because we're not following the plot because it's way too overwrought. Hmm. That to me is a sign of like there's a real issue with the film when that's going on. Well, see, and I don't expect, I don't, ex- I mean, the character, I will say, the only thing that bothered me with any of the humans, because I expect it to be garbage. I agree, they could do better, but history has taught me that they're probably not going to because mm. I don't like the Pacific Rim stuff. I don't, you know, it's just, I don't like that stuff. So yeah. I don't expect it, but. Farmiga, Vera Farmiga's character arc was annoying. Oh, it was, it was just, and it made no sense. And I thought, you know, Charles Dance's thing as the bad guy, yeah, that was annoying, but I kind of expected him, but him in combination with her was terrible. I will say, I was surprised, and this, it did kind of annoy me. I remember in the first movie, Brian Cranston in 2014, he comes and goes pretty quickly, and everybody was really surprised <laughs> about that because you thought he was going to be more involved in the movie. Yeah. In this film, you know, they teased Millie Bobby Brown as Madison Russell a lot. And I was like, you know, I like her in Stranger Things. Okay, let's see what she does when she has more to do other than just walk around with a bald head. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was really, I thought, nothing but a shameless way to get younger kids interested in Godzilla. It was just a Stranger Things coattails ride. So that was really, that was... That was disappointing. That did. She really only had me. one scene. I'm thinking going out to the ball field with yes. that box. That was kind of her doing something right. of any importance whatsoever. You're right. Um, Sally Hawkins. <laughs> is such, she's a good actress. She is. I like the work she's in. She had a very small role in the previous Godzilla film. I did not realize she was going to be in this film, too. And here she shows up and she's in the first half. And spoiler alert, although I really don't think I'm ruining anything for anybody. She dies. And it's 
but it's not anything ceremonial. See, and actually, it's that almost, just shows you how bad it is. You didn't realize she died, did she? Did I had forgotten because yeah. I thought there was. I was going to give as a positive, just like in the first one. It was kind of surprising to me that Brian Cranston died. I was like, yeah. oh, it was kind of like a wake up call. In this film, there are two more people that I do remember who yeah. died. I'm not going to spoil that. I was but... actually kind of like, oh, interesting. Mm. But Sally so, but Hawkins. I, that's funny. I guarantee you, my bet is that Sally Hawkins. They didn't film a death scene for her. They just said, you know what? We can't get her back on set or else she's not interested in doing any more of the movie. <laughs> so we're just going to do something with a giant creature's foot and boom, she's gone. And so that's basically what they did. So took place off screen or no? No, no. It was, uh, they were running up in the Arctic base. They were running outside, like out in the snow and ice. And the creatures are all around them. And all of a sudden you see just a big foot come down and there's a rumble. <laughs> and then a little bit later on, they're all looking at a picture of her on the screen, kind of like sad for a, a couple seconds, you know? Yeah. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so you got that. So anyway, wow. I think as everybody can probably tell, we're, we're not big on the, the human stories that are going yeah. on in this film at all. And I, I will say it got to the point to me where it actually made my enjoyment of the film lesser hmm. because of it, uh, because it was just too much badness. Sure. One more bad thing I'll throw out. Okay. And this is a, a an issue I always have in films. And unfortunately, it even happens like in a really good action franchise like Mission Impossible series. But when Vera Farmiga's character early in the film places a video call to the rest, these other, the hero team, I guess, okay. at their base. So all of a sudden she pops up on the big video screen and she's there to, to communicate with them okay. through FaceTime or video chat or whatever it is. And as she's talking, there is video footage that then shows up in her feed, almost like an edited montage to accompany her talk. Uh, and it's just all I could think of right then is, all right, did somebody actually, did she edit a video to play while she's <laughs> talking to her family to explain what she's doing and how much work did she put into that? And how did she even coordinate it with her technology to show this video like at right times when she's mentioning? Well, she didn't, obviously. It's just something the filmmakers use to give us more information that's very artificial. Sure. You know, it's almost like with the Mission Impossible movies when Tom Cruise gets his mission and he opens up a suitcase and it's this gig, huge like animated 3d sequence showing him all the things he has to do. Sure. And it's basically like, there's, I guess there's a whole marketing team that mm -hmm. back at the MI group that put this together, spent weeks Probably. doing this whole thing. And then he watches it one time and it blows up and, and they're done. done. <laughs> so, anyway, that stuff bugs me. It's like, it's, it's just frustrating. If that was all it was in this film, you know, I kind of chuckle that off, but I think it just keeps tying into this fact that they just didn't know what to do with the human stories. Hmm. And they were just grasping at straws, I felt like. And it just made it tough. Okay. I feel like I've railed on that side of the film enough. Let me, I will say some things I thought were positive. I'd like okay. to hear any other thoughts you've got as well. Um, again, the visual imagery I thought was absolutely gorgeous. Um, I thought the, the, the uh, monster designs were really good. You know, you would have had to tell me a while back the giant three-headed Hydra-type creature would have shown well on screen in a 3D version. And it worked. I mean, it was actually really pretty good and yeah. was a great character design and was scary, you know, and it worked. And there was even a great, they had some great far off shots of the creatures, you know, like even on a mountaintop or a volcano. And like you said, it was almost like paintings, like yeah. you know, beautiful artwork. So all of that, all the visual design crew team was great. Everything about that. Um, so I will say that I thought Godzilla looked good. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, he was, he was well-formed as well. Um, 
I thought the action with the creatures was good and kind of well choreographed. You kind of knew what was going on most of the time. There are a couple really great, almost like a classic 1950s Godzilla style shots where far wide shot that shows the two creatures like looking at each other mm-hmm. and before off. they come in, like ram up against each other. That was great. And I think definitely a more of an homage to the older films, that framing with those shots. So yeah, I mean, I'm a very split on this film because, you know, if you go for the spectacle, I think it's worth going to the spectacle. If you go because you want to see a story and a plot and it's horrible. So anyway, that's where I am. What other thoughts did you have? Yeah, on I mean, film? that's I'm basically on the same page. I think, you know, overall, I guess we talked before, if my expectations were so low, then it definitely met them and maybe exceeded them a little bit because the cinematography or the visuals were so well done. And the sound design was really cool. And I had a good experience watching, you know, a blockbuster giant monster movie. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, I'm no, surprised. Like, I am surprised. I thought you were yeah. going to hate this film, but no, no. Yeah. And I think, you know, had the human element been there, then it probably, I would have been like surprised that I liked it even more, you know, but I, I just wasn't, I just wasn't expecting it. I thought something you talked about how they, they did kind of reference the 2014 film. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also, and I, I liked that, you know, I didn't really realize for a little bit that these weren't the same people in the first yeah, movie because right. of how they were kind of tying everything together. A creature that was in the, other than Godzilla, the creature that was in the 2014 movie, the kind, Muto. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of makes another appearance mm-hmm. in this movie. And I thought that was, that was cool. Um, at first I thought it was cool how they were also referencing Skull Island. Mm-hmm. They maybe did a little bit too much. Well, um, but I understand yeah. because if this thing makes enough money, which you know it I has been a it disappointment did. box office wise, yeah. you know the next movie was supposed to be King Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus King Kong, and you know so I understand why they're you know it's franchise care is what they were doing, but they maybe overdid it just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they definitely dropped in a lot of references to yeah. Skull Island and showed a couple really quick flashing shots of of Kong in the jungle. So yeah. Um, Definitely, they're trying to build this another shared universe, another sure. you know, because uh, everybody sees the model that uh, others have followed and seem to be doing pretty well with. Sure, yeah, but this movie has not fared well box office wise or critics wise, so it it's going to be a tough road to get more movies out of this. We'll see how it goes. Um, you know, Michael Darty was the director of the film. Uh, also, did the screenplay for it too, which may be part of the problem. Uh, I like. The, some of the stuff I've seen him do, I, mean, I I've mentioned Krampus as a recommendation. Yes. He directed and wrote Krampus, okay. which I like. Krampus, I think Krampus is a great. I just great, like fun hearing movie. you say the word Krampus. <laughs> and then he uh, did Trick or Treat, which I did not see, but I've heard actually people say he's a pretty good horror Halloween anthology little mixture of short films. But he was also the writer of like Superman Returns, which was the Brian Singer Superman, which was. Didn't really work very well. Not a great movie. <laughs> so it's kind of a mixed bag with, with Michael Darty. This film, unfortunately, you know, if I'm trusting somebody with the visual style of a film, I think he's got it down pat. But uh, maybe he doesn't need to be writing the gotcha. film. Maybe uh, maybe there could be screenplay by some others. I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, that is Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Uh, overall, it sounds like we're... We're of the same mindset. I just might be a little bit more passionate in both directions than you are, but that's probably because I, I love these kind of movies in general and hope for the best for them. And this one was a disappointment on uh, half of the scale of the film. Um, I guess I wonder too, 
maybe maybe some of the human stuff could have been better if Gareth Edwards, the director from the first one, had returned for this. But, well, again, yeah. I think the the, the human stuff in, in the first one was good. I mean, it wasn't great, and I still couldn't tell you what the plot was of those characters, <laughs> but I remember at the time it didn't bother me. Sure. I was okay going along with the human plot for the hour and a half it took the lead up to see Godzilla fight. Um, it didn't bother me in that film. Here... Every time there was a human on scene, on screen, they're talking and giving so much exposition and explaining everything. I just said, I just want to get back to the monsters. Just please leave and go show me the monsters again. <laughs> so show me the monsters. Show me the monsters. All right, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, uh, out now for a little while. So if you are a big fan of the spectacle and the genre, it's probably it's worth a watch. But don't go in expecting anything beyond great monster visuals and fighting. So. All right, Chris, let's move into our second review, which is the uh, film about Sir Elton John, the musical fantasy Rocket Man. What did you say your name was again? My name is... Reggie! Reginald Dwight. Reginald. That's my granddad's name. So how does a fat boy from nowhere get to be a soul man? Gotta kill the person you were born to be in order to become the person you want to be. I'm thinking of changing my name to Elton. You could be the best-selling artist in America if you desire. I was trying to do something bold. Why you still something flashy? Director Dexter Fletcher's Rocket Man is a musical fantasy about Elton John's breakthrough years. IMDb lists it as his fourth film, with the others being Eddie the Eagle, Sunshine on Leith, and Wild Bill. One film is noticeably absent from that list. Alan, how about we challenge ourselves to discuss Fletcher's latest without reflecting on or compare, comparing it to the Voldemort-esque film, which is curiously absent from that list? Or do we dare mention that film that must not be named because it can't be avoided? Hmm. That's a good point. So you're talking about Walk the Line, right? He didn't direct that, did he? No. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> I just like, want to throw you for wait that. Wait a second. So. <laughs> maybe he wrote it, but I don't think he did. No. So, of course, you know, for those maybe not in the loop, you know, he, he did, quote, co-direct, unquote, Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, yes. You want me to talk through a review of Rocket Man without comparing it to Bohemian Rhapsody? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I guess I can do that. Whether you like it or hate it, I want you to do so without comparing it to another film <sighs> with its own merits. Yep. It's going to be tough, man. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. You, you threw down the gauntlet right now. So, I did. all right. I will say this, um, rocket man. I really, really dug. Okay. I thought it was great. Okay. Um, I did go see it twice and it was by my choice to go see it a second time. I full disclosure. I had found out that you'd seen it twice, which led me to believe. I thought I knew your opinion of this. Well, film. I tried to play it off like my, my wife and kid wanted to go <laughs> see it. Maybe I, they took me kicking and screaming. Sure. But no, it was my birthday wish. It was my birthday weekend. I'm like, yes, I want to go see this again. Fair enough. I loved it. I thought it was great. And I'll tell you the reasons I thought it was great. Sure. Um, I love music biographies, but I have been very, very loath to like biopics as of late. Not referencing any film in particular. Because <laughs> that's, that's, you're going to get electric you, shock. You have, you have yeah. thrown down the rule. Sure. The, this film uh, took, takes an interesting concept of, of the biopic and says, you know what, let's, let's make this a recollection. So the whole film is staged with Elton John being in a certain place 
and thinking back to events of his life. So R- a giant flashback like in Walk Hard. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Before but, I go on stage, I need to think about my life. <laughs> that's true. A little bit that of that. aspect of my life. The difference here, though, is that the minute they set up that conceit and say, okay, and I guess I can say, I mean, it's the first scene of the film. Sure. He's in a drug rehab center. The minute you know he's in a drug rehab center and he's talking with others and people are asking him about his life and all, and he's recalling things, that moment right away, I feel like you're given carte blanche to say, you know what? The films don't, the, the music doesn't have to be in the order it was released. We don't have to get every little detail right about being historically accurate on everything. We're more conveying emotion and what he's feeling, not as much exactly things happen in the sequence they happen. Where other biopics spend so much time trying to show how a song, certain song uh, title came to be because they heard somebody say something and they said, oh, that sounds like a great song title. And then you come to find out it becomes a song later on. So many of these biopics spend time talking about how they made their music certain ways and not as much about what the artist themselves was really feeling or going through during the process. And I felt like this one did a great job balancing that where we still got the tip, some of the typical musical biopics. There are some things I have hangups with it. And I'll mention that in a little bit. There are some times it does fall into the cliche musical biopic more than I would like for it to have. But I think it did a great job of trying to push the format a little more in a different direction with some more fantasy sequences, some more dreamlike sequences, some more. Um, I don't know. Just I, I dug it. I think I think. Uh, <laughs> Taron Egerton Egerton is really, really good. He's not an actor I've really thought much anything about, but I thought he he nailed it. I thought he was really good. And actually, I will also say the Jamie Bell. Yes, Jamie Bell as as uh, Bernie Taupin. To me, their friendship personified in this film was one of the better platonic male friendships I've seen in film. And I believed it. You know, that's the thing. After several scenes of them together, I believed that how good, close they were and how much they cared for each other and how they were a good team. So I've got a lot more to say, but let, I want to hear your thoughts for a little bit. What, what do you think? Because, you know, you, you are not as big a fan of the of the format as I am. Um, although you have liked recent musical biopics. That shouldn't I can't, be named. Yeah, that shouldn't be named. Um, yeah, I guess I think overall I am not as – harsh on musical biopics or biopics in general, because I think, you know, the thing is they're telling you somebody's life story and, you know, you say, Oh, they're stereotypical. Well, yeah, they're making movies about them because they are famous and because they did have ups and downs, you know, Mm -hmm. there hasn't been a biopic on they might be giants. You know why they've been around forever, but they don't do drugs. They don't get ridiculously popular. Nothing really. There's a reason about them. (laughs) I mean, they make good music and I love them, but they also don't have a biopic because there's no point. Um, so yeah, you're going to have the roller coaster ride of fame, drugs, and you know all this problems and mm-hmm. up and down problems with family, and, like you've had with Walk the Line. Mm-hmm. That was one you threw out. Um, so I kind of get that, but I guess if there's something about the film, whether it's performances or something else that kind of makes you forget that, yeah, it is kind of painting by the numbers. I feel like in a way. I mean, everybody's life progresses that way. You get older, you do paint by the numbers, you do have certain things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I feel like it's kind of unavoidable, but I will give this film credit. Like you said, the same things actually, it was like you were reading my notes, although mm-hmm. you weren't because um, you couldn't type them because of your broken. No, hand. I can't type them. They're <laughs> but, all in my head right now. But uh, 
the thing that made it different and I'm not, I know Elton John's music, but I'm not really aware of the chronology. And I found out after the fact, yeah, they kind of put songs where yes. they worked with the narrative, kind of like you would for a Broadway musical, mm-hmm. which I feel like eventually this is probably going to be turned into. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised it wasn't that to start off with. And then mm-hmm. they made the movie afterwards because that's kind of what it feels like. Was this an established musical? And then they turn into a film. But um, it didn't bother me that mm-hmm. they played fast and loose with some of the time periods and stuff. Yeah. It didn't bother me. I thought it worked. And what made it different for me was instead of relying on concert scenes, which there were concert scenes, yeah. but um, instead of relying solely on concert scenes or times in a studio, they were able to literally break into song like a normal mm-hmm. musical would. And that was enough of a different take to make it fresh yes. for me. So that's something that I immediately appreciated. And, you know, you've mentioned Taron Egerton's performance as well as Jamie Bell. Yeah. Both those guys were great, but the other, like, and I think it probably will be recognized come Oscar time. Mm-hmm. So I shouldn't say Ung Sun Hero because who knows if it'll be recognized, but I feel like it will be the costumes oh, yeah. of this thing. Because, you know, Elton <laughs> yeah. John, even if you know very little about him, you know that he dresses crazy and wore all these crazy outfits. And yeah, they do, you know, I think a pretty good, accurate job of like recreating all these different looks that he had. Mm -hmm. Um, The cinematography, the way they shot a bunch of stuff was really cool. Um, Yes, it it was different enough for me that I feel like it is trying to do something different. Um, So I I did, I was able to appreciate it. So now my misgiving is kind of a a backhanded. I have a real misgiving. Oh, I've got a couple of them. (laughs) And, and, one one misgiving I'll give is it's a little bit of a backhanded compliment is that as much as I loved I loved all the fantasy the fantastical uh, fantastical sequences I yes. like the breaking into song yes and there's moments where you almost feel like they're on a stage performing and the sets are moving around them it's a very theatrical feel and it was awesome it was great but yet they still relied on some tropes of the musical biopic when they didn't need to anymore. For example, there is a montage in the middle of the film when Elton John is becoming very famous. Is it the honky cat or whatever? No, it's before the honky cat. Oh, I know. Okay. I had heard that song, but I was never aware. Cause I mean, oh, I yeah. guess I was too young. I was never aware that that was an actual song. Oh yes. <laughs> so it starts off. And it's I'm a like, great song. Wait, they're saying, Honky cat. Yeah. Like, honky it cat. took me a bit to kind of no, appreciate it. Right before, okay, before the honky, honky, before honky cat. I'm going to lead into that. Okay. So right before the honky cat sequence. I, I just, that's such a funny thing know, to say. I'm going to keep cat. saying it. Um, there's one of the things I hate more than anything, the montage of somebody becoming success popular. And it's just newspaper clippings flashing up on the screen. Okay. And you're like, it's short. It's nowhere as egregious so as... So there's not a music... There's not a song being sung. You just see this happening. No, there's a mu- piece of music playing in the background, okay. but it's just visual montage of okay. just okay. Elton John uh, captivates audience at oh, this performance. Oh, and it showed how much money he was yes, making and exactly. like how he was worth And it's just... Okay. okay, and the reason that doesn't work, the reason they don't need to do that anymore is the very next scene was the honky cat sequence. Which is like a giant shopping spree. Exactly. Right. And right away, that scene alone showed you how popular and successful Elton John was becoming because he's like walking through stores in this musical sequence and there's people catering to him and there's crowds of people following him and he's got more money. I'm like, 
Why didn't you just show us that? You don't need to do the little cliche montage anymore of saying, mm. oh, look, here's all the newspaper clippings reminding you that he's now becoming really famous and successful and popular. Every musical biopic does it. And sure. I think it's annoying as I'll get out. I can see um, that. When this movie was doing so good at every other way of conveying the story without going into cliche territory. So that's the thing is like if you're going to go to the this fantasy, more theatrical feel, this break into a musical thing – Go all the way. Like, you're doing fine. Like, every scene you've thrown at me so far that breaks the mold has been great. So why are you stopping to go back to the tried and true formula for a few scenes? It just didn't make any sense. But that was just a gripe because I was digging the movie so much. And then when that scene happened, it's like, ugh. You know, just same old, same old thing. And then they come back with the honky cat sequence. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. No, okay, they, re- they, rem- they remembered. They remembered that this is fun. This is a lot better than what they just did. So sure. we're good. So that was, you know, it's a little bit of a misgiving and that I loved what they were doing so much. I wanted them to keep that same style as much as possible through the whole film and, and keep it going. Um, Richard Madden is John Reed. Um, it's another little bit of a cliche where I felt like it's a little cartoonish. It was a little he walks into the screen. He plays someone who uh, becomes uh, a, a lover of John uh, with Elton John for a while. They have a relationship. He also becomes his manager after a while. Right. He does, he is follow the way it's portrayed. He falls a little bit into that. Oh yes, of course he's going to be the bad guy. It's he's pretty gonna clearly, too much of a he's going to be bad for Ariel Elton John and Elton shouldn't really be with him. It was a little stereotypical the way he was introduced and the way he was presented on the screen. You kept waiting for that to drop where you knew he was going to be bad. Right. And I wish it wasn't so obvious. You know, it took a little bit out of the film there, but again, the way I kind of, make amends with it in my head is that this is Elton John recalling his life. So maybe that's in his recollection. That's how he sees the guy. He saw him as all dashing and, 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 and debonair, but then also bad from because it's using one. the framework of him relaying all this yeah. stuff in rehab. So again, so. I, it, it makes it work. Okay. Um, that's really my only real misgivings. So what have you got? Oh man. Is it Bryce Dallas Howard? No, no, you liked her. No, I okay. actually thought okay. So she, she played plays Elton's mom, one of his parents, and um, all right, well, Stephen McIntosh, who played one of Elton's parents, oh, the, the, the father the dad, Stanley, the kind yeah. of absent dad. I thought all that was great. Okay, good. Actually, the one thing that was maybe a little distracting for me about Bryce Dallas Howard mm-hmm. was not her performance, but it was the fact that. I knew who she was, but I couldn't figure out who she was. Uh, right, so yeah. it was kind of irritating me. But then I was like, oh, no, now I know who you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, no, outside of that, no. That okay, well, what's your what's your misgiving? Well, is it the but, kid? No. No, no. Oh, man. Okay, no, well, I'm just, just no. not guessing. You tell, no, tell me the what kid, your misgiving uh, is. Because I think maybe it was my wife who was with me, thought the little kid was a little rough. But I was like, yeah, my my my, like my, my boys <laughs> thought the kid was a little rough. I'm like, eh, I thought no, he was okay. I like the kid. All right. No, let me, let me build up to it. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, so... We have mentioned that the progression of the movie happens with songs, and they may not be in the right order, but didn't matter to me. Um, I will say, "Bitches Back" at first, I don't know that song really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have heard of it, and I know that that's a refrain in it, but I didn't. So, having that be kind of the first song that they launch into was a little distracting for me because. You know, it's like, well, the lyrics are supposed to be telling me something, and I don't know what they're telling because I'm not familiar with the song. But that was okay because then you kind of figured it out. But I liked that. I liked how they did that, mm-hmm. and like he's in a devil costume. And I liked. Yeah. I liked how that was. It, that was a really. And I it think, was jarring for me, and it was like, what's going on? Yeah. And I felt like it was because I didn't know the song, but it but it worked. But I think also that was the scene where early in the film where people I could tell in the theater were just like, 
what's going what's on? <laughs> this is not going to be a traditional oh, music bio, bio like, pick. My wife was kind of like, what's happening? Yeah. Whereas I knew it was going to be a musical right. and they were going to sing. And I thought so, it was awesome. So, yeah, yeah, it, it mm-hmm. was good. So I like that. Um, Crocodile Rock, which they kind of ruin in the trailer in a way, mm-hmm. um, but still really good. Yeah. And my favorite, mm-hmm. my absolute favorite, your song was good too. I actually didn't have that in my Yeah, notes, yeah, that, that was a good, good moment. But I think that was a little, and that's also kind of ruined the trailer and that was... Not it wasn't milked, but it very easily could have been milked for too much sentimentality. But yeah. it was but it was good. No, my absolute favorite was Rocket Man. Okay, yeah. And because of where that <laughs> starts and then where the song ends, yes. and there's a moment which they do show in the trailer, which you it's kind of out of context, but you oh, just see him about. coming towards the stage and he's like being prepared. And if you knew what came before that of the movie, it's really awesome. And then he grabs the bat and as soon as he gets out on stage, you can see it's like a almost like a psychotic shift where he gets really happy and he puts yep. on the fake smile. That was amazing. And just well, seeing and seeing Egerton do that and you're like because you saw what come came before and you're like, Yeah, that's a well, famous person yeah. having to just put on a Well, keeping in mind the shot thing. right before it even too, we know what I mean, you and I know what led into that scene. We won't right. go into all the details of it, but as he's being kind of wheeled on yes. a stretcher and it's a silhouetted shot. And then yes. all of a sudden he's lifted back up and put back into place and then costumes put back on him. And then that leads to him. That, yes. that was a brilliant sequence. It was an assembly line sequence. Yes. Essentially. And it was like, it was they're just re- getting him going again. They just got to keep him on the treadmill. Right. And even if and he's it, killing himself, right. doesn't matter. We need to get him up on stage. So, and it was a beautiful sequence. Yes. So well done. And that's what makes me, just surprised because that seems like that's something that would be constructed on a Broadway stage, mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, as he's going across. Oh, like very with, theatrical. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, man, it was so well done. So I really like that. All right. Break and it to me. Now, what's your, what's your, what, what do you not like? Unfortunately, it came at the end of the film. Oh no. Yeah. Oh yes. I liked the inclusion of the song. I'm still standing. Uh huh. And it made sense. Uh-huh. I like how he was like coming back into his own. But what I really couldn't stand, and I'm not sure why they did it, was how they then basically did a lot of green screen uh-huh. with Taron Egerton. Instead, You're breaking my heart, Chris. Instead of just, re- I mean, okay, if this is a low budget film, I get it. You want to put him in the video okay. that God and everyone has seen. I get it. If you and I made this film, we'd probably have to do a green screen. If we could get it. <laughs> so yeah. sorry, Taryn. I know we've spent, you know, but we don't have the budget. We're just going to green okay, screen. Okay, so you're, 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 you don't like, the, you didn't like the technical way they did I it. I absolutely hated it. Mm, it was okay. like fingernails on a chalkboard. And at first I thought, wait, I, I was like, oh, there's going to be a reason. It's going to be like, we're going to see him come off the set and then he's going to address the camera. Like, I thought there was going to be something mm. to it. But no, they just wanted to put him in it and just green screened a minute, but it did to me. It was bad green screen, and huh. it was like it wasn't like Forrest Gump where you dropped him in talking to presidents or something like that. It just it just was terrible. And I'm like, you had the money to totally recreate this video. I know you did, so you could have gotten people painted up just like they were in the video. It was really distracting. So then that kind of confused me. And then oh, the title cards, the title cards. I know. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. Terrible. They and were. unfortunately, I happen to know because I heard people kind of griping about it, and I didn't know why because the whole rest of the movie, I was like, yeah, so what? Elton John's a executive producer on this movie. Big deal. He's still alive. They wanted to make yeah, a movie. Yeah. Big deal. However, the title cards at the no, end they were bad. Were just a little, and it, it'd be different. If unfortunately we had already lost Elton John, he'd passed away and somebody was choosing to put this in there. But the fact that he's an executive producer and it was just kind of like, 
and some of this stuff didn't even make sense. It was no. like, why are you telling us this? Well, like, so, so I, okay, I so, agree with yeah, you it, on the, the title en- cards. The ending was terrible. Okay, the green screen didn't bother me. Oh man. I loved the, the recreation of the video or not recreating, but no, I love the showing of the video. <laughs> I know. I love the, the inclusion of the video. Okay. I thought it worked for me. It was great, but I'm with you on the title cards. I was actually going to say, that's my other big gripe. The other musical uh, music biopic cliche they fell into and I'll tell you why, because I already figured out how they could have nailed the end of this film so much better than the title cards. Do the I'm still standing sequence. That's fine. Let's shoot the video over again and do it oh, for I real. Wish they would have. But what you do is before the song ends, get him walking off the set. Okay. Like basically you're pulling away and you realize he was on a video shoot walking away. No, here we go. Walking away. And as he's walking off the set, he goes up and embraces his husband. So right away, you realize he's married. Then their kids run up. Oh, he's got kids now. Cool. And it's like, because we're already in a fantasy film, you can play this up and show us everything at the end without the cards. Let me blow your mind. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Verging off that idea and would have made me okay with the green screen. Okay. Taron Egerton is Elton John still singing a song and he oh. walk. Oh yeah. You know where there you go. he walks off Elton John, yeah. his husband and his two kids are standing yeah. there. Okay. That would work like, too. And they embrace him. And they're like, Oh, good job. And then you see them there. That would work. And yeah. And then it breaks the fourth wall. That would, that would have been so Because right away you awesome. don't need a title card saying Elton John married this guy <laughs> and they have two <laughs> oh, kids. It's okay, like, you just you see know what? You know what? Yeah. You know what? Okay. Elton John embraces him and then he can be like, Taryn, you know, great job. I want you to meet my husband. My husband and, and my he, kids. And then you say, my husband, David, David, <laughs> these are, and they don't have to say the kids' names if he doesn't yeah, want to no. because you don't want to ruin, like, anonymity. Perfect. No, you're right. That actually would have worked. Man, it would have been well, amazing. Well, I was going to say, either way, either that or whatever, I was all for, uh, yeah, I think our ideas were basically the same. Yeah, they they could have expressed the same information as the title yeah. cards a different, more creative way, right. just like they have the rest of the film. Because I do understand how, Elton John finding love and acceptance. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing in the movie. And so finding love, yes, he has a husband and he's yeah. you know able to be openly gay and that's important. And so I understand he's able to have kids and able to have a family that he can be happy with. Like I get it. Yeah. Me too. Just yeah, handle I get it. it in. A different no, you're right. I, yeah. I was, my big misgivings of the film were the two places where I felt like it became the stereotypical biopic. And that was the musical montage of being successful <laughs> And it's the title cards at the very end. Sure. I agree. I, those were my two things. I'm like, if they could have found a more creative way to do those two things that tied in with the rest of the film, it almost would have been a perfect music biopic for me. Like, okay. it really would have. Sure. And um, I, I think it would have been up there for me as well. Like, maybe one of my favorites if yeah. it hadn't have been for that last yeah. part. And it was, it was a one-two punch for me. Yeah. I, the, I, well, the, I can see if you felt that way about both parts me. of it. That and was tough. Is, I'm going to beat the dead horse here just for a second. It was the building up. I heard the song, heard him kind of coming up mm. with it, and he was coming out of rehab. And then he's in the halls of the rehab, and he has on the I'm Still yeah. Standing Get Up. And I'm like, awesome. Yeah. He's actually going to, re- they're actually going to recreate the video. And then, nope, it's just a bunch of cheesy green screen. I was like, no. See, well, I, <laughs> so I guess the, I just wasn't. The anticipation was they were going to do it, and yeah. then they didn't. I was wrapped up in the moment so much, I didn't really pay attention to the green screen. Gotcha. The second time I watched it, yeah, I started to realize, yeah, this is exactly the shots from the video, and he's just kind of on top of where Elton was on before. Yeah, sure. I, that's fine. Um, 
But yeah, I think it's interesting that you and I kind of picked out that same thing with the title cards at the end because it was bad. I mean, it was like a you had just watched a uh, TV movie documentary about him and you're seeing the final title cards. It just didn't match the tone of the film at all. They're so close to the finish line of being completely original and they just Just couldn't quite quite, uh, cross the line there. So a couple of quick things I'll mention, uh, just some, some really call out moments for me. There's a secret. I'll admit the 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 open the beginning twenty thirty minutes. You know, I love the the beginning, the bitches back sequence. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. Started kind of wondering how the film was really going to go for a while because the whole childhood stuff was a little hit or miss. I love the stuff with the parents; they were good. I don't know if it was just the child actor there. Just I was just waiting for it to really grab me. The moment this film grabbed me. And I realized I'm digging it completely. It was when Taron Egerton came on the screen? It was the whole sequence of the uh, Saturday Night's All Right for right. Fighting, which goes from him being a teenager playing in a bar. And they do this great sequence where it's like he runs out of the bar down the street and he goes in. And when he emerges at this big carnival, he's now an adult, Elton John, played by Taron Egerton. That whole dance sequence and the energy Taron Egerton's putting into it and just the choreograph- choreography of everything was Glorious. And I just said, all right, I'm totally hooked on this film now if they keep up this energy. And luckily they did. The film never really sagged. It never really, you know, had some moments that I thought were groaners or just lasted way too long. It kept a good pace, but it went the range of emotions I think they were trying to hit. And uh, again, I feel like this is a film that I've really felt like I got a sense of how Elton John felt. I, I didn't just need somebody to pretend they were Elton John and act like him and look like him. I actually kind of got a sense of, I've kind of feel like I felt like he did. I understood how he felt during these times, which was really what made it a little more special for me. Um, And closing moment, I'll mention, I think my favorite little quick little moment of the whole film, it was unfortunately spoiled in the trailer too, but I still love it in the film. Even though one of the title cards at the end of the film says that Elton John and Bernie Taupin never had an argument, we saw two of them in the film. So right. it does kind of throw a little argument against that. Right. But there's one moment where they're backstage and uh, mm. Bernie Taupin's uh, confronting Elton and they have a big little sh- Elton shouting at him and just very upset and very overwhelmed by everything. And he starts to walk on stage and you think, okay, yeah, he's just going to leave. And then they'll make up sometime later, but no Elton stops and kind of walks back over to Bernie and just kind of reaches out and grabs his hand and says, I'm sorry. And Bernie says, yeah, I know. I know. And it's like, yeah. and goes out there and performs. I'm like, that's, that's a friendship. That's, yeah. that's how you perform a fight show us a friendship on screen. So just a quick little moment, but everybody in the audience around me is like, Oh yeah, that was, <laughs> that was nice. So uh, yeah. anyway, I love the film. I wish those two or three elements of it were done better to make this a more perfect film, but I loved it. Had a great time with it. It helps that I'm a huge fan of seventies Elton John music. Sure. Not as much after the seventies, you know, I, I don't like any of his, I'm not a big fan of any of his more recent stuff, but 1970s Elton John is classic stuff well, and, and really I good. What you and I both appreciated about it as well. I'm not a huge, I mean, I like him. Okay. But you know, I'm not really aware of time period stuff, but unlike a lot of other biopics too, they didn't try to do, and this is not just musical biopics, but you know, a lot of them, they didn't try to do the entire span of his life. This was, mm-hmm. I mean, they did start when he was little or a young boy, but then they kind of, they did cut it off around, you know, they yeah. didn't go all the way up until now, but they did with the title credits, but they didn't have to yeah. make the whole movie. They went like to that. about, I mean, what was that supposed to be like, you know, 84, 80. 85, something like so that. They could so. have gone all the way to 
to him getting True. married and to him getting yeah. kids and you know no they just decided to throw that up on title cards instead so <laughs> all right. yeah all right still a little i still grumble about that a little sure. bit but otherwise yeah it was great um uh, one more scene he goes to visit his father um oh, yeah. later on in life sure and his father's kind of got a new a new situation a new family heartbreaking and yeah. just played really well by by uh, egerton um man yeah, and especially because he holds it together enough Mm-hmm. While he's in there, you can tell that he's being affected. He yeah. does enough that you can tell he's being affected, but he leaves his dad's place and is in the car and then just totally like yeah. loses it. So, yeah. Good stuff. It is All fun. right. I'm highly recommending Rocket Man. Thought it was great. You know, not that I'm comparing it to any other film that people <laughs> may have seen in the last couple of years, but I thought infinitely better. And I do feel like it was also uh, a much better lead performance. Ooh, as well zinger just gonna say so anyway all right with that let's move on that was rocket man still playing in theaters eh, did not doing great but i mean it's a rated r film that automatically cuts down its audience but i think it's having some good repeat business i think it's a good positive word of mouth about it and i hope it does well so all right chris how about let's take a quick break and when we come back i believe you've got a couple news items to share with I me i do and we can talk through those and then when we wrap up uh with our recommendations of the episode You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV, and we'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Mary Margaret from the Chick Chat Podcast. Are you interested in promoting your business to an online audience? Your advertisement could be right here on The Mesh Podcast Network. Head over to TheMesh.TV for more details. I am not normally one to watch trailers, Alan, Okay, but if it's a film that I actually already know the story, I'm much more inclined so, have you seen the trailer for Doctor Sleep? Do you even know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. Okay, Doctor well, Sleep. Doctor Sleep. Don't know it. Doctor Sleep is the Shining sequel. Oh, Stephen King wrote a book. No, was, I have heard of it now, but yes, I, that was okay. a sequel to yep. The Shining, and they now have released a first trailer. I wasn't even aware that they were making a movie of this, mm. and then now they are. They have released the first trailer, and what's exciting to me is. I liked the book okay. I thought it was an interesting sequel to The Shining. Um, In the lead role playing Danny is Ewan McGregor, Mm -hmm. which I like Ewan McGregor. And I feel like he's really kind of dropped off the radar after the Star Wars uh, prequels. And then after Moulin Rouge, to me, and the new, I guess the last thing was T2, Train Spotting, that he was in. Mm -hmm. And other than that, I just feel like, I don't know, he kind of disappeared. Well, he's in this. It's honestly, because it's based on a book, it's an interesting story to me, which is a continuation of now Danny is a grown-up and he's an alcoholic and he still has problems every once in a while with the shine that comes to him. And it's kind of, he befriends a young girl who also has this power and things happen. Um, I'm fascinated. I had, I had heard Dr. Sleep at one point. I'd heard maybe rumors of it being in development. No, I had no idea that the film's made and a trailer's out. Sure. And what's also interesting is uh, the director is going to be Mike Flanagan. Mm-hmm. And Mike Flanagan, I've actually recommended two of his movies before on the show, um, Hush and Oculus, Oculus, which are both like horror yeah. movies. Um, so he's done those. And most recently, he did a Stephen King adaptation for Netflix. Gerald's Game, right? Gerald's Game, yeah. which I also saw. Which, not as crazy about that one. It was not that it was bad. It's just the book and the the movie are just more not as interesting to me. But I think more than anything is that this guy knows Stephen, Stephen King. King. Yeah. He's already had an experience adapting one thing. And he knows horror. Screen. It sounds like and as he, well. And he knows horror. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. Now, what's even more curious 
when you watch the trailer, which you'll do after we record this, um, probably, it is a well-known fact that Stephen King was not fond of Stanley Kubrick's yeah. movie, The Shining. Sure. Uh, he had it remade at one point with Stephen Weber, and they put it, it was like a made-for-TV movie. Um, but what's interesting is in this trailer, they, I think, use certain shots from Stanley Kubrick's movie, like the blood in the elevators. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the trailer, they use kind of the... Um, the creepy music that was in the beginning as the cars going to the overlook hotel in the first, in the first film. Sure. They use some of that creepy music at the end of this trailer. So I'm curious how Flanagan got away with that <laughs> because I'm assuming, or maybe Stephen King just kind of sells the rice and he doesn't have any control over what happens because to me, that was just kind of jarring. I liked the trailer, but then I was like, Oh, that's weird. They're actually direct. I mean, I guess in a way, you have to reference things in the movie, but using or you have to reference things that happened in the first movie, but to actually use some of the same music. It's kind well, of surprising. It, to me. it sounds like just what I was looking at here. Cause now I'm totally fascinated and <laughs> so glad you brought this up. Um, Stephen King's given his blessing to the sequel and is actually helping work. He actually gave the blessing to hire Ewan McGregor for the role. Okay. So it sounds like he's on board and maybe it's just a matter of saying, you know what? I'll, Maybe this is his way of feeling like he can kind of redeem his feelings about the... Uh, or he's uh, made peace with it. Made maybe. peace with it. Or he's like, you know what? I, I want to kind of rectify some of the things I felt like I didn't care for in the uh, Kubrick version of the original. Who knows? But uh, I like the fact that it's a true film sequel you know, to The Shinings by incorporating right. some of the same footage. And obviously, it's not taking place in a different... Uh, a version of this telling of the story. It's not like it's a sequel to the TV movie version that was no, done no, no, much no. later. This yeah. is truly yeah. against the, uh, the, the, the Kubrick originals. Now so. what I don't know is if it's going to be released on Netflix or if it's actually coming to the theater. That's what I don't know because, you know, since Flanagan has already done a Stephen King adaptation for Netflix, I was curious if this was also going to be a Netflix film but uh, I didn't find those details. But any It just has way. a release date of November 8th of this year. Of this year. But, again, I don't know. It doesn't say if it's online or not. So I would hope theatrical release just because, you know, this is the kind of film that as you get a little closer, I would hope would get a lot of well, a lot of uh, promotion for and it. And we're going to have It too coming out this summer, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it seems like there would be enough time to play give, off of that. Yeah. yeah. Well, Rebecca Ferguson's in it too, which is great. I like her a lot. She's from the recent Mission Impossible movies. Jacob Tremblay is in it, which, you know, from Room, the mm -hmm. young kid from that. Right. So that's interesting. No, I'm so <laughs> glad you told me this. I really had no clue. Yeah. I, I was, I had heard of the book, but didn't know they were making a movie. Wow. So, okay. Yeah, I'm awesome. adding that to the wish list for the, for the year. So that sounds interesting. <laughs> okay. So this will probably be a relatively short news item but I'm just really happy about it. Okay. Um, they have announced that David Lynch will be receiving an honorary Oscar in oh, October. That's nice. And, you know, to me, you know, I, I wonder if he had to done the Twin Peaks return miniseries for HBO or no, it was Showtime. If they had, if he hadn't done that, if they would just be like, you know, they would have forgotten about him, but because he got so much acclaim for that and because they passed him over for, Mulholland Drive and Eraserhead and Blue Velvet. I mean, he got nominated, but of course he didn't win. Yeah. Um, and then he actually got um, a nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay for Elephant Man, but he didn't mm. win that either. So I'm just really happy that they're, though my only regret is that I think that, yeah, they do this ceremony in October. 
said we probably won't see anything on the actual Oscars telecast. So oh. it's not like a lifetime achievement where they yeah. bring the director up on stage and they give them that. That's a shame, though. But it is. But um, I'm still glad that at least they're recognizing him. And honestly, <laughs> the other reason I'm sad is because I would just like to hear what he would say. Well, that would be my curiosity too. So let me ask you. I know that you have been you you went through a whole process of rewatching Twin Peaks. Yes. Recently, you're still going through it. Maybe I, I'm still going through the process of watching the new series. I think okay. I have the return. I have like two episodes left. I think. But so forgetting Twin Peaks and anything TV related, what's your favorite feature film? Uh, David Lynch feature film. Well, and he did he did Fire Walk with me, which was a feature. True. Okay, so, let's let's exclude okay, that just because yeah, let's exclude that. Put that aside. Um That's really hard to say. I uh-huh. think it would probably be I, I need to rewind. It would probably be either Wild at Heart, okay, or um Mulholland Drive. But I, I would okay. need to rewatch them cuz sure. I, I I like Blue Velvet too. It's just really weird. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, and then I guess technically <laughs> a lot of people hate this movie. Um, and they're redoing it. Um, Dune. He directed right, you like that. that. You like and Dune, huh? I did like Dune, but see, right. I think it's the type of thing where it came at the right point in my life where you thought they were never going to make any more Star Wars movies. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, I want some science fiction. And it was like a vast wasteland mm-hmm. <laughs> of science fiction. And then Dune came out and I know it's not a perfect movie, but I remember digging it just because I was desperate for science fiction and it okay. was weird, which, you know, David Lynch is all sure. about weird. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd have to think, but probably either <laughs> wild at heart or uh Mulholland drive. So. Okay. Interesting. I, uh, I admit, I freely admit I, I need to refill my David Lynch, uh, viewing collection a little bit more. Have you ever seen the straight story? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, Actually, that's, that's good. Yeah, and just so different from so different. I liked it, and yeah. I've seen several of his films, but I'll admit, I was not always fully engaged, paying attention, fully engaged, like watching to really watch it. Sure. So it's maybe something that was on during some film classes I took, or and in the background. And you often went to sleep. Well, <laughs> some of my film classes were at eight in the morning, so oh, there yeah. you go. That's a problem enough. Um, let me loop back to your first story about sure. the uh, Doctor Sleep. Just talking about Stephen King's involvement, I just happened to do a quick little uh, check on the notes here. Okay. And, um, you know, as you said, the film adapts King's uh, novel, uh, sequel novel to The Shining from his 2013 no- novel, Dr. Sleep, follows an adult Danny Torrance. Um, it says the best response to the creepy new trailer actually came from Stephen King himself. Hmm. Stephen King tweeted when Mike Flanagan put the, the uh, trailer link up online, Stephen King retweeted it and said, this movie is going to blow your mind. If you have any left after it chapter two, that is. Ah. So he seems to be pretty happy with where the films are going with his, of his work right now. Or his wallet's really happy. (laughs) That too. I, anything could make it happen. Right. One other thing I'll add to this, just while we're talking Stephen King, um, did you ever watch the TV show Under the Dome? No. Uh, no, that's not true. I'd read the book. Yeah, I know you I did. I think I watched the first. Did they do more than one season? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like maybe a season and a half. I don't know if it went a full I, two seasons. I watched a certain amount, but yeah, then I stopped. Yeah. And I don't remember how much I watched. I, my wife and I watched most all of it and it got more and more disappointing as it went along and just didn't really hold up. Supposedly, uh, Stephen King probably felt the same way about it. So he's currently shopping around trying to find a new version of under the dome to tell. And, uh, so we'll see Netflix. will pick it up. Well, I'm, I'm 
happy if he wants to do that. And again, I don't think that I, I don't think it works as a singular movie. I think it it's still needs much. to be I mean, a the book is huge. Yeah, it's it's a dense story. And yeah. I think there's a lot of, but I would love to see it taken away from. I mean, I think CBS did it, like you know, mm-hmm. and it was like a primetime show, and it just yeah. felt very watered down. It felt very uh, a little more soap operaish than I think it was meant to be. And uh, I think they could have done a lot better with it. So I'm hopeful that maybe they do something a little different there with that as well. All right. If we're going to, before we close out, since we, yeah. I brought Stephen King up, we looped back. David Lynch, we still love you. But there's not as much to talk about. We're just yeah, happy. True. Or I'm, I'm happy. Um, I am sad that the Gunslinger franchise has probably died a sad death because no, it's not. Has it not? No, it has not. Okay, there is actually hope still for it. I really me... love those books. They're really good. And that movie was, it was a disappointment. Um, Well, even, even Ron Howard has said he made a mistake with the gunslinger movie. Um, Yeah. He has come out and said, yeah, I think it should have been horror. I think that it landed in a place both in our minds in the studios that it could be made PG 13 and sort of a boy's adventure. I really think we made a mistake. Uh, I mean, we could have made it darker, more hard boiled look and make it the gunslingers character study more than Jake. Right. So he he gets it. He okay. he agrees. Now Amazon, um let me just tell you this looks to be our third third news item. Okay. Um this is coming from Cinema Blend, online cinemablend.com. Uh Amazon is gonna be making an adaptation of the Dark Tower. Okay. Um Starting Over. Starting over. Okay. So it is cast it's gunslinger Roland. Um Sam Strike is lend to the role. He's been on the sci fi series Night Flyers. Um Anyway, he's going to be playing Roland in the Dark Tower TV series. Hmm. So Amazon is producing it and doing it. Um, Not Idris Idris Elba. Um, Hmm. Let's see. The TV series will serve as an origin story for the character as it picks up with Roland long before the movie did. Uh, Among the things covered will be the origins of how Roland acquires his guns and accordingly became a gunslinger. It will feature his first mission as one. Um, which is covered in the books as well. Yeah. So it's like they're taking, it'll feature his first skirmish with the man in black. Yeah. yeah, yeah um, yeah. it's basically, I think this is showing my true nerd colors. I think it's the book wizards and glass. Okay. Is there taken, which is like, I think the fourth book and they're because it was kind of like his backstory, Roland's backstory. Well, that's awesome. Oh, there you go. As for the plot details, they seem to confirm that viewers will get to see aspects of the fourth book in the dark tower series. That book, Wizard in Glass, hey. uh, tells the story awesome. of how Roland all that. So awesome, um, cool. A premiere date has not been set, but when it does, it'll do so on Amazon. So only there's hope. Thing, only sad thing. There is hope, but then not hope for me unless I bump, you don't have bump a off somebody's membership. Amazon membership. But yeah, because just like I won't be able to see the Star Wars thing because it's going to be on Hulu, Disney Plus. Oh, sorry, Disney Plus. Yet another. <laughs> yeah, so, that's yeah. the uh, that's the the um, Mandalorian series. Right, I'm not yeah. going to get to see that with yeah. Werner Herzog. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I uh, yeah. If it's on Amazon, I probably won't get to see it. So or you just do the purge like I do and figure out which services you can cancel and then swap go. out with the new ones. So. Or there's always the free trial. So. <laughs> Yeah, there's that too. Um, okay, I think well, we actually made the news segment last a, a good while with that, so covered a lot of ground there. Um, before we move on to our recommendations, which is the final part of our show, just want to make a couple quick notes and a couple things to be aware of, and then here in a minute, we, Chris and I will both be giving our recommendations for the episode of films we think may be worth checking out. 
Uh, just a couple quick reminders. This uh, podcast is available on the mesh.tv network. So if you are interested in seeing back episodes or finding other shows of interest on our network, it's the mesh.tv, T H E M E S H.tv. And we'll give you a little bit of information at the end of the show, but just keep on your radar. Uh, footcandle.org is the website for our film society. If you happen to be in the Western North Carolina area and want to join us, and we'll be teasing in a little bit our Foot Candle Film Festival coming up in September of this year. So a lot of ways to kind of stay in touch with some things going on in the film community around our area. So, Chris, let's just go ahead and move into our uh, recommendations. And I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll go first just okay. because you did some of the talking for the news items there. And then I'll let you uh, go in with your recommendation, too. All right. So my recommendation is going to be surprising. And it it is a little bit of a mea culpa. Um, Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties. <laughs> no, I still have yet to see that. Um, I, uh, you know, I don't watch much TV anymore, meaning just turning on a channel and just letting something roll. You know, sure. normally my, my TV viewing is I'm there to watch something. I know what I'm watching. I'm going to pull it up on Netflix or on iTunes and watch a movie or whatever it may be. Gotcha. So the idea of just turning on like TNT or USA or FX or some of these networks and just letting a movie play doesn't really happen much anymore. But the other day, uh, decided to kind of just kick down. Couldn't want, uh, have anything else. Didn't want to get too invested in anything else at the moment. So I had a little bit of downtime and I flipped around and a musical biopic was on that we've already mentioned in the show and mm. has kind of gotten a little bit of a rap of being maybe the ultimate version of what has gone wrong with musical biopics over time. It becomes so cliche and that is walk the line. Okay. I remember, I think you and I maybe reviewed it on the show or talked about it at some point. I'm not sure. But I, re- I know you and I have both t- mentioned the film before, just like we did previous in the show. is kind sure. of being that it was almost the one that really pushed them to make Walk Hard. It's like, okay, after oh, yeah. Ray, the Ray, uh, uh, the Ray, Ray, Charles. Ray Charles film sure. and then the Walk the Line, I think that's when they said, okay, we've got to parody these musical biopics now because they're kind of getting very formulaic. All right, Walk the Line is still formulaic in its storytelling, but I found a few things with it watching it again that actually really worked for me more than they did maybe the first time. Maybe the first time I'm viewing it, I'm watching it truly to see how good a musical biopic it is and kind of getting a little tired of the cliches. This time I'm watching it more for performances. Okay. I will say, Joaquin Phoenix was really good in this role. <laughs> okay. And I, I probably did not give him enough credit uh, first time around. Fair Does enough. he look like Johnny Cash? No, not really. But, man, you want to talk about mimicking a character on stage and the raw energy of that person. He he captured Johnny Cash for sure. And I thought Reese Witherspoon as June Carter was also really good. Better than I expected and, and remembered. she won an Oscar I think she sport? did, yeah. Mm. And I think it was one of those roles that, you know, I, I was maybe cheering for somebody else to win the Oscar that year. But going <laughs> back, no. I, I'm still not sure if she deserved the highest honor of acting that year, but... She was really good. And I I admired that the film, yes, it explored Johnny Cash and explored kind of his uh, um, rise to stardom and some of the demons he faced. What I was probably the most impressed with, though, is there was also this interesting side story of June Carter Mm -hmm. and the fact that she had just gone through a divorce, leaving her husband, which at the time, and especially in Southern America, that was a big no-no. And like right. she was shunned because of her failed marriage 
that she left her husband. Right. And the fact that she was so concerned about now getting in a relationship with Johnny Cash, who was married at the time, <laughs> and all that would encompass and what toil it took on her was actually really well done. So I think the movie did a good job of tackling kind of a little bit of a touchy subject, you know, at the time. Sure. And, um, and, and not afraid to show that, you know, she was... I mean, there was a scene where she's in the supermarket or a drugstore or something, and she kind of gets accosted by one of the employees. Like, yeah, you know, that guy was a good guy. I don't know why you did that to him and shame on you type of thing. It's like, wow, okay. I I assume that actually did happen, those types of things. And it was Mm -hmm. an interesting subject matter to cover in the film. So the music's good. The acting's good. It's very formulaic. You know where it's going to go. You know it's going to be sex, drugs, rock and roll. But (laughs) – it's a well done film. So sure. I'm going to give it credit that, you know, second time around, I found a lot to really respect about the film. So okay, that's walk enough. the line. My recommendation there, Chris, what have you got for us? So I recently caught up with the 2009 comedy observe and report. Hmm. Uh, this is a Seth Rogen vehicle. It's directed by Jody Hill and it's, I'll give you a brief plot synopsis. Bipolar mall security guard Ronnie Barnhart, played by Seth Rogen, is called into action to stop a flasher from turning Shopper's Paradise into his personal peep show. <laughs> but when Bernard or Barnhart, sorry, can't bring the culprit to justice, a surly police detective is recruited to close the case. So this is a funny movie. Uh, I had never seen it. Mm-hmm. I was so it was nice to watch. I will say humor is very very dark um, mm. okay. because yeah, so it is not a family film, um, sure. but very dark. But I liked it, and the cast is pretty amazing. I mentioned Seth Rogen, Ray Liotta, Michael Pena, Anna Faris, Aziz Ansari, uh, Jesse Plemons. So oh, wow. it has like a lot nice. of people. And this is, I mean, this came out in two thousand nine, so this is ten years ago. So you're getting to see a very young Seth Rogen, mm-hmm. a very young, you know. Oh yeah. Um, so it's just it was it was enjoyable. I really I really liked it. Um, but like I said, not. <laughs> It's can be very, there's lots of language all over the place, sure. but it's just really, um, I really liked it. Plus I will admit there was a time in my life where I actually had to work in a mall. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. I was not a mall cop, but I worked in a mall. Um, so that, that helped because, you know, Interesting. Lot, you had some good perspective on it. Oh yeah. The majority of the movie takes place in the mall. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'll just say, you know, it's, it's Observing report. That was a film. I know when it came out, it kind of had some high expectations that people were, Disappointing. I think maybe because it was darker humor was darker. than, and, yeah. And actually, I learned a little trivia because afterwards I was like, man, I can't believe this movie's not, you know, more known or people know of it, but not talked about more. Well, what had happened was when Warner Brothers was going to release it, they were going to force um, Jody Hill to make like a PG 13 cut of it. Mm hmm. And they went ahead and made the cut, and then they did test screenings, and the scores were terrible. Huh, wow. So then they went back and were like, no, because I guess the original R rating, when it was very dark, they didn't want it to be as dark. Okay. But they went back and they left it at dark, and I guess it still didn't do as well, but it did better than I guess they thought the PG-13 They would have the PG-13 cut. Interesting. So that may have been a little bit of the kind of controversy yeah. that came of it. Could have but been. Uh, observe and report. Okay. I recommend it. All right. We're going to go a couple couple ones from a few years back. We both recommended here. We're checking out on that. So so that's our show for today. We did our reviews of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which we were we were on the same page with our review, but our reviews were split uh, between the good and the bad of the film. Sure. Uh, then Rocket Man, which we were both uh, very positive on and had some uh, some good feedback, barring a couple little missteps, but otherwise, really good film. 
Then we uh, went into our news and we talked about the follow-up film to The Shining, which is, to me, just fascinating. Talked about David Lynch getting some uh, recognition upcoming soon. And then even uh, dipped into the, back into the Stephen King world with The Gunslinger, talking about the Dark Tower series a bit. And our recommendations for the show as well, we closed out. So with that, we're going to get ready to wrap up. But before we do, I just want to make a quick plug. And, and, and Chris, anything you chime in that I forget to say about this. About our film festival coming up September 27th through the 29th. Uh, for those of you maybe joining this show for the first time, Chris and I run a film society here in Western North Carolina. About 600 plus people come out on a monthly basis to enjoy some interesting films and dialogue. We have an annual film festival that's open to the public held September 27th through the 29th of this year. Probably, uh, I've had to guess, 30, 35 films we may be showing over the course of the weekend. Uh, those will be announced in late latter half of July, coming up soon. Tickets will be on sale at that same time. We are looking forward to a great weekend, combination of short films, narratives, documentaries, uh, and we cap off the whole weekend with a great dinner banquet with uh, awards and recognitions being distributed. So it's a, it's a fun weekend. We have a great time. It'll be our fifth year doing the festival. So I think it uh, keeps getting better every year. So we're hoping uh, if you happen to have some time in late September, want to come join us out here in the neighborhood of Hickory, North Carolina, Western North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. Uh, we would love to have you. Let us drop us a line. Let us know if you want to come and we'll make sure we get you some information uh, along the way. All right. And the place that you can drop us a line or email us feedback about the show is info at the mesh.tv. Um, you can also, if you'd like, we would appreciate it. Subscribe to us on iTunes or encourage others to leave a star rating with a review that helps us reach new listeners. We're, if you, iTunes is not your bag, we're also on Spotify and on Stitcher. So you can check us out there. Um, follow us on Letterboxd or even on Twitter at Chris Fry, at Alan Jackson, or at Foot Candle Film. Yeah, a lot of ways to reach us, and we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. So that's it for Foot Candle Films today, and we will look forward to uh, talking with you about movies here again very soon. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.